We are continuing our series in Philippians. We're still here, and it's awesome, and I love this book. Um, I really, the more I've spent time in this book, the more I've really enjoyed it, and I feel like I've, I've uh, gotten connected a lot more with, uh, with Paul and who he is and, and all of that. And, uh, and, and, and the, the thing in the book of Philippians is, is that it's a book full of joy, right? Paul in this book is so joyful, and yet the circumstances of his life are not that joyful. And so as we read it, I think for us as believers to really glean, how do we have this tenacious sort of faith that Paul has? How do we have this that does not, this faith does, that does not rise and fall with what's going on in the world and what's going on behind the scenes or what's going on politically? Uh, how do we have that sort of buoyant faith that bounces back? Um, now, for some of you, uh, you are a little OCD, uh, which I am a little OCD, I, so I get it. Um, and you're noticing as we're going through Philippians that we're not going in order, and it's killing you. And I know there's one or two of you going, why, why are they moving around in Philippians? Uh, last week, I was preaching out of Philippians chapter two. This week, I'm preaching out of the end of Philippians chapter three. I am so sorry. I know it's breaking your brain a little bit, uh, just a little behind the scenes. A few of us needed to switch dates as preachers, and that's just what happened. So we're going to live. We're going to be all right. Um, uh, but we're in Philippians chapter 3, and this is actually coming after uh, the, the passage that Mark was preaching about uh, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks. It was probably like four weeks ago. I'm not sure how many weeks ago. Um, uh, but he was preaching on Paul when Paul was saying, indeed, I count everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, and Mark did a great job. If you missed that sermon, make sure and go back and listen to it. But in the context of this verse, Paul is just hammering home. He is, just like he said, he had all these qualifications. He said, if any of you think you are earning salvation, I have a lot more accolades to stand on. He said, I'm circum circumcised on the eighth day, yikes, um, of, the, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, of the law, a Pharisee. Um, to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He's going, look, I did all the religious things. I checked all of those religious boxes. And yet in one moment, I crashed into Jesus and it changed everything. And I looked at all that stuff and I counted it worthless. He said, I counted it as, uh, he says dung, but basically in the original language, it's a lot more harsh than that. We could use our imaginations. Paul is very adamant. He's like, I consider it worthless, completely trash compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And this is Paul. This is, this is who he's sinking his identity into. And then he moves on, and we're going we're gonna to be diving into the next section right after that. So if you got your Bibles, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 3, uh, and we're going to start in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. I love that. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature <laughs> think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. 
Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul, as soon as he finishes laying out all these things, he's like, I've done all of these religious duties. I've done all these things to to earn relationship with God. And I count them as worthless compared to knowing Christ. And yet he says, again, as somebody who is writing this letter, as somebody who has spiritual authority, who has said things like, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, but not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Uh, That word perfect in the original Greek is teleos. Now, teleos means perfect, perfected, completed. It does mean that. But it also has another layer on top of it, meaning full maturity. He's like, "I, I am not claiming to be fully mature in Christ quite yet. What, what humility, right? What humility of Paul to have this sort of posture of, look, guys, I still have a lot to learn about the Lord. And I think if Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, can say that, how much more should we say that? Look, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, you know. Paul is directly pushing back against this idea because Jesus came. He paid the price for our sins, no doubt. He paid it in, in full, incomplete. Every sin, if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior that you believe, and you believe that he was raised from the dead, you, you, with your mouth you confess that he is Lord, you are saved. You are in right standing with Jesus. There's nothing else you have to earn in terms of salvation. You are there. You're already there. And so Paul's going, yes, absolutely. Jesus has paid the price on the cross, and yet I am still in this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And he's pushing back on this idea that is still around, by the way, that when you accept Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes on you and gives you strength to never sin again. And there's people that will stand in front of you and say, I don't sin anymore and thereby committing the sin of pride directly in front of you as they're saying that. Um, This is not Paul's posture. He's not going, I am sinless, I stand here sinless. He's like, no, I am imperfect. I am growing, I'm not fully mature yet. I'm still learning about, uh, still learning about what it means to follow Jesus. And I think he understands this thing that has really been hitting me lately, but a posture of pride creates a posture of shame. So when you show up and you have a posture of pride toward those that you follow or you teach, you will create a posture of shame in the hearer or the the follower. And Paul is going, look, if he stood up and he said in this verse, look, I am absolutely perfect because I have absolutely attained perfection and I want you to attain the same perfection that I've obtained, we'd all go, dang, (laughs) dang. Why? Because we all know where we've fallen short. We all know that we're not perfect. We all know that, you know, we, we lose our temper with our kids sometimes or we whatever. Or we, there, there are things that are going on that we're always very, very aware of. And Paul is creating that posture of camaraderie. And even last week when we were uh, talking about, you know, when, he, when, when Epaphroditus was there, he was saying like, this is like he was building that guy up. Even though he got sick and he left, he was going, don't think less of this guy. Like, he put him on the same level as himself, and he gave him this sort of apostolic-type title as he's explaining how wonderful this guy Epaphroditus is. Paul is very quick to put people on his same level, to get down on their level, and to say, look, I'm in that with you. I am not perfect. And with this posture of humility and all of this that he's talking about in verse 3, 
Piper in chapter three, Paul starts to push us toward this idea. And he starts to push us with humility toward this one thing. And he says this. He said, but one thing I do, uh, which in the original Greek, uh, that word, I, that phrase I do is not in there. In the original Greek, it just says, but one thing. And then he goes on to list two things, just by the way. Um, <laughs> but one thing, and really, I mean, you get it well, uh, as we go through this. Like there, this one thing that Paul is talking about has two motion, like two things, aspects to it, but one singular motion moving forward. He says this. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul, in this one thing, he's like, I'm doing this one thing. Like, I am locking my mind on this one thing. He's like, I am, and notice he uses the word straining, straining. So he's not like, I'm just, you know, the Holy Spirit's doing it for me. No, he is, he's putting his mind toward this and he's going, I'm doing this one thing. I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pushing on forward toward the future. I'm forgetting what's behind and I am pushing forward to the future. Now there's two aspects of this forgetting that I want us to hone in on. Um, Now, Paul is not talking about forgetting in the like, the weird sense of, oh, I don't even remember it anymore. Like, that's, that's not what he's saying. Like, there is this motion. The, the forgetting is this idea of, like, I am setting my past back here, and I am putting my future up here, and I am forcing my body to turn this way to be focused on it. Uh, but there's two things that we want to talk about. One, I think, again, there's a principle that's at play here in this forgetting that Paul is talking about, setting the past behind him. There, there, there's two aspects of it. First, This is the kind of counterintuitive one, but in the context of what he's talking about, he's listing all the good things, all the ministry that he's been a part of, all the accolades that he could check off on the box, and he's going, look, I am putting the good things behind me. Why would you put the good things behind you? (laughs) Now, is it it good? We we were just talking about it this morning. Uh, David was saying this. It's like, it's so good to remember what the Lord has done. Absolutely. It's, it's like in the Old Testament when they set the 12 stones as a, as a reminder for the children of Israel to go, this is when God delivered his people. Like there are moments to put stakes on the ground as a family, um, as, a, as a people to say, remember when God did this thing. That is absolutely true. What Paul is saying though, he's like, you've got to forget that good stuff that is in the past because you cannot wallow in the good old days. You cannot wallow in the good old days. Uh, Christians, we are not meant to rest on our laurels at any point. We're not to go, hey, I've done enough ministry. Check, done, right? You know? No, there's always something new to do. Um, I was reading an article this week, and I've been been reading uh, just psychology articles about some of these things because I, I feel like so, in so many ways you read things biblically and you go, this, this is so true. But then when you read something in science that backs it up, you go, wow, this is even more like, wow, the world's catching up with what's going on in the Bible. Um, and I read this, read this article about this thing called rosy retrospection. Rosy retrospection. Has anybody heard of that? Okay, all right. Yeah, a couple of psychology nerds. Yes, I know people who read a lot. I get it. Um, uh, Rosy retrospection is this. Uh, This idea that 
the good old days were way better than the days we're currently living in. And it is, they, they literally call it a cognitive bias. So your brain is just biased toward thinking that the old days were way better than they currently are now. I, uh, I, I just got back from uh, a, a vacation last, or a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we, we spent about three days out. We, we had just a little bit of a window, and my wife and I thought, let's just book it to California. We'll spend a day at the beach. We'll spend a day at Disneyland, then one more day at the beach, and then we'll come home. And if you're like me, you start thinking about that, and you go, it's going to be so awesome, Right? I just imagine, I'm like, I'm going to be sitting on the beach. It's going to be great. Like, I'm not going to have, and I have teenagers, and what ended up happening is they complained the whole time, and I wasn't thinking about that at all. And I was going, this is going to be so awesome, you know. And uh, the, the first day that we, we get there, I, um, I suffer with migraines occasionally, and I got a really bad migraine. And I hadn't had one in a really long time. And the very first day of vacation, I was sitting alone, in the dark while my family was at the beach and I was super disappointed. And, uh, and then as the vacation went along, we did finally get to the beach and my teenagers were like, why are we here? How long do we have to be here? You know, and you're going, can we just enjoy some beach time? Like, uh, you kids don't understand. I've been thinking about this for a while. I really need this, you know? And, um, and I found myself thinking back. I was like, you know what? vacations weren't like this before, right? Like, they were always really good. And I was like, man, those good old days with my young kids, like, they just wanted to build sandcastles with me, and, like, it was just so good. And, and then I started really thinking about it. I was like, well, but what else was going on at that time? Well, I wasn't sleeping because I had little kids. Uh, and yes, they want to build sandcastles, but probably 10 minutes after that, they were screaming and melting down, and we were thinking, where are we going to do nap time? And then I was probably changing diapers in the sand, which changing diapers are gross anyway, but in the sand, it's like extra gross. And then you're like trying to feed them food, and they're dipping it in the sand and then eating it, and you're going... But as I started thinking, I'm like, this is... These are the good old days, right? You know? You have that moment where you're like, right now is the good old days. This is, this is a good time. This is a good time to be, to be here and to be alive and to be hanging out in California. And, and I think the enemy wants us to have this sort of rosy retrospection in our life and go, the good old days are gone. Everything's all downhill from here. <laughs> and what it actually does is it robs you from being present in the current moment. It really does. Um, I, I got saved in, uh, in the 90s, and uh, there was some good worship music in the 90s, right? Uh, I loved, there was a band that I really loved called Delirious, which I think maybe like a handful of you in this room remember. I loved Delirious. They were just so awesome. Uh, and, and I have a tendency, just like anybody else, to think back and go, gosh, you know what? You know what was great about those times is... We sang worship songs that we didn't even know who wrote them. And we were in like small groups that were real, you know. And, and it's so easy for me to go back into that rosy retrospection and go, what's wrong with today? What's wrong with right now? And the problem is, is it really discounts God's ability to do something beautiful right now. It really does. What it does is this. I think it's a twofold problem. 
it, it makes you blindly critical of the present. So your first instinct is something's wrong because it's not the same as it used to be, you know? So you're blindly critical of the present and you're hopelessly pessimistic toward the future. And isn't that weird when we think back on the good old days, the way that it actually affects us in a negative way? I love Ecclesiastes says this very clearly. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not wisdom that you ask this. It's not wisdom. And I, I, I think the enemy wants to get us locked in the past. The enemy wants us resting on our laurels. The enemy wants us thinking God did a lot more amazing things back then and he won't do them now. And that is not true. It is not true. Are the times we're living in hard? Yes. Are we seeing difficult things happen in society? Absolutely. But God has given you breath right now to impact his kingdom right now. You are not helpless. You, can, you, you are not helpless in this moment. And you have right now to take and to grab and to use for the kingdom of God and to enjoy it. To enjoy it. The enemy doesn't want you present right now. The enemy doesn't want to, you enjoying your children at this stage. I'm sure some of you are like, enjoy the teenage years because pretty soon they're going to move out. Oh my goodness, don't tell me that. So there's always, there's always something. There's always, you know, there's always something that we, we have to look forward to, something that is not lining up to what we think, think the past was like, but we have to put that aside and move forward. And Paul's going, with everything I've got, I'm straining toward the future with Christ. The, the, the second thing to set behind us, so it's the, the good, then the second thing is the bad. Now, uh, this is not repression. Uh, everybody, I, I've shared this before. I, I went through a, a good year plus of, of counseling. And I, I didn't, didn't go through anything super deep or super traumatic, but I had a lot of things to work out in my past. I really did. And for some of you who have never opened up with anybody in your life, I would strongly encourage you to get some counseling. I really would. And it, because I think a lot of times we think of this and we go, what Paul's saying is, I'm just forgetting the past and moving forward. But the problem is, is when you've gone through something traumatic, when you try to just shove it in the past and move forward, you're going to confront it time in and time again, time in and time out. Like every single time you try to move forward, you're like, dang, I get pulled back into the past again. And we have to be aware of that. So Paul is not talking about repression of emotion or repression of what you went through. I told this story um, at the image conference. So if, so if you're there, forgive me because you've already heard the story. But, um, but a few years back, uh, I, was, I was watching my kids. It was Saturday night, back when we had Saturday night service. And I don't know if any of you guys remember that, but we used to have a Saturday night service at Living Streams. And my wife, uh, Blake, she ran children's ministry for Saturday night. And then I did things on Sunday morning. So I would watch the kids every Saturday night. Then she would watch them in the morning. So it was, we'd switch kind of back and forth. And so this Saturday night, uh, my wife had just gone to, um, uh, is it junk in the trunk? Is that what it's called? The thing that's kind of like, the, yeah. So she got like this, this, like, uh, this, this old chandelier at this kind of uh, thrift store uh, or show or something like that. And 
I knew, like as a husband, I'm going, this is an easy way for me to gain some accolades right now. And I'm like, well, Blake's gone. I'm going to hang the chandelier up. I knew she wanted it like outside because it was kind of old and she wanted it outside for our outside hangs. And if you know the Romeo family, we love hanging out in our backyard. Um, so I start putting this thing together, you know, and my little kids are running around and, and, uh, and I'm running this wire over and I get to this point where I need to get higher up to run the line. And I start thinking, well, I could go get my ladder, but that's all the way over in the garage. It's so far away, and I'm at the very end. Like, why would I go all the way to the garage, get this ladder, when there's a flimsy Ikea chair right here that I could just stand on? This is easy. And so I pull this chair out. I'm like, I'm going to stand on it for like 10 seconds because I just need to get this thing up, you know? And so I stand on it, and sure enough, Boom, the middle of that chair breaks and I fall and I fall with my, the, my back teeth like coming down onto the top of the chair. If you can imagine like the back of the chair. So my teeth hit that and I immediately bust these front two teeth in half. Uh, and if you think these teeth look nice, it's because they're fake. Um, so I bust, busted my teeth in half and um, I start bleeding immediately, like lots of blood. And you know, you like in the moment of it, you don't really feel it, you're just all adrenaline. And my first thought is, I don't wanna stain my, uh, my patio with blood, so I put my hand like this, I don't know why. So I'm holding, holding the blood, and I turn over and I go, uh, I go, Toby, my son, I'm like, buddy, can you go get me some napkins? I need napkins. And his eyes get wide and he goes, okay, all right. And he like runs off and he gets it. So I'm holding my hand like this and I'm just waiting and I'm thinking, man, I really messed myself up. And I looked over at my sweet daughter, Adden. She's probably in kindergarten. Uh, she's probably wearing this beautiful sundress sitting in the sun. I remember she's sitting in our backyard in the grass. And she was sitting and she was coloring like all sweetly, probably drawing flowers or something like that. And then she looks over and she's smiling. And then I see her register what's going on. And her eyes get wide and she gets real serious. And you could see her going, oh my gosh. And then immediately she just looks right back down and just keeps coloring. <laughs> and I thought, I am watching a child repress, uh, like a repress a memory right in front of me. She's like, dad's bleeding. I can't deal with that. I'm going to just keep drawing, you know. <laughs> and for, for all of us, you know, how many of us try to do that? You know, it's like, just get back to coloring. You know, like I can't deal, can't deal with that. That's, that's too hard, you know. Um, I read this book called Are You Really Okay uh, by um, a therapist named Deborah Faleda, and she's, she's awesome. Uh, she writes from a very strong biblical uh, perspective on this. But she, was ha she happened to be actually talking about this exact verse in Philippians in her book, and she said this. She said, our problem as human beings is that we can't simply forget unless we first acknowledge, understand, and learn from our past. In order, that we, in order for the past to lose its power over us, we have to go back before we can move forward. We have to deal with the past in order to be freed from the past. So some of you, you've gone through things in your life, and maybe you go, ah, you know, people have gone through worse things. That's, there's always somebody who's gone through something worse. Um, for some of you, you need to say, okay, I, I need to talk to a counselor. I need to talk with somebody. I need to take a few steps back, deal with some things here so that I can have freedom to move forward in what Jesus has for me. 
And I'm telling you, it's, it's nice. I mean, I'm a verbal processor. And so uh, I process a lot with my wife. And sometimes she needs a break from that. So uh, it's really nice for me to meet with a counselor. I go, okay, I'm, this is what's going on. And then they, because they don't really know you, they'll ask questions that you go, ooh, ouch. Ah, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. This is good. This is right. And so for me, I, I've, I've been pretty dense most of my life. In the last, you know, few years, I've been digging back and going, okay, how do I deal with that so that I can move forward with Jesus? But then the other side of it is that you need to move forward with Jesus, right? You're not getting counseling so that you feel better or just that you can only just deal with it. You're doing it so that you could be on mission with Jesus and what he's calling you to do, right? Without that, you miss a lot. You notice lately our watch has been uh, buzzing. If you got an Apple Watch, um, you know, the man is always listening to you when you're wearing an Apple Watch. Um, uh, if you got an Apple Watch, it'll buzz and it'll say, uh, have you done any mindfulness lately, you know? And mindfulness, there, there is actually some really good biblical ways of doing mindfulness. This way of just kind of being aware of yourself, being aware of where you're at. You know, maybe doing a little bit of breathing in the morning, just kind of going through your senses. What am I thinking about? Am I stressed out? Um, and I use that a lot because I'm not very self-aware, so I have to force myself, Ryan, what are you feeling right now? What are you thinking about? What are you ruminating on? What do you need to set aside? What meeting is just grating at your mind, you know? And I need to be able to take that to the Lord. So you have to be aware of things so that you could bring them to the Lord. Um, but I, I, I read a study recently that said mindfulness is beautiful and it's good, but when that's the only thing that you're about, it actually makes you very narcissistic and it lowers your empathy letter le level for other people. So if all your attention is, how do I feel right now? Ooh, I got to work on that. Oh, I got to work on this. Oh, I got to work on that. If that is all you've done for years and years and years, let me encourage you that maybe there's a moment where you need to put it behind you and you need to say, God, what do you have for me today? What's that next thing for me today? The enemy wants you wallowing in the past, whether good or bad. Because guess what? You can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. The mistakes of your past, you can't change them right now. You can't. That could be bad news or it could just be good news in surrendering to the Lord and going, Lord, I trust you with it. I'm giving it to you. But some of you have been diving way too deep into it and you need to start going forward in Christ. You got to start moving forward in Christ. Because what's all of this? What does Paul say? He says, one thing, forgetting what lies behind, so setting that back there, working through my past, whatever I need to do to have closure on it so that I can move forward, setting it behind me, what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. And then in classic Paul fashion, he really stretches out what lies ahead. He says this, uh, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward, uh, toward the goal for the prize. So what's the goal? What's the prize? The, the goal and the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those of us who follow Jesus, we are not meaningless we're not just floating around. We're not just trying to get through our day. God has something for us to be moving toward all the time, 
all the time. I love the verse when it says, the Lord is a lamp unto your feet. We lose track of that in today's like LED, crazy, bright flashlight world, you know? Like I could see a mile away now with, a, with like a you know, tiny flashlight. When this was written, the world is a lamp unto our feet. What does that mean? Well, if you hold a lamp, how far can you see? Not very far, right? You got maybe one or two steps and you know where it's safe to walk and what not to trip over. <laughs> you have right now, you and I have right now. We could space out right now. Even I could space out right now while I'm preaching. Believe me, I've done it before. Um, space out right now and move, move forward. You can live your life in anticipation of what's going to happen. You could live your life wallowing in the past. But the Lord has given you right now. What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? The upward call of Christ Jesus. Yes, it is knowing the glory and the power of Jesus. Yes, that is a big part of it. Yes, it's worship. Yes, it's all these things. But it's also that still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to partner with me in ministry and I want you to do this one thing. I got this thing for you right here. Following Jesus is exciting when that's the way that your life is lived. When you're going, Lord, what is that next step? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say to my server today? What do you want me to encourage my kids with today? Who do you want me to call after service? These are things, are little, little, little choices. But our life in Jesus is defined by the way Eugene Peterson says, the long obedience in the same direction. Just going, Lord, what do you want me, want me to do now? And what do you want me to do now? And what do you want me to do now? And Paul's going, with everything in me, I am straining. I'm reminding myself, self, why are you so down? Why are you wallowing in the past? I am pushing myself forward going, God's got something beautiful for me up there. I know it. I know it. My question for you right now is, what is that next thing? I had a speaker one time when we were in YWAM and uh, he was talking about hearing the voice of the Lord. And uh, he said, you know, some of you, he said, maybe you're feeling confused, going, what is God saying right now? I'm so confused. He said, the best practice in my life was to go back to the last thing that God told me to do. Did I do that? <laughs> he said, just go back to that last time you heard from the Lord. And he said, do this. Did you do that thing? If not, he said, it's probably a good idea to go back and do that thing. Let's spend just a minute in prayer. We're going to take communion in just a little while. But uh, before we do, I want us to all pause. Maybe close your eyes. No hurry. Take a really deep breath. Here we are, Lord. I want to hear from you. I want you to take a minute and just ask the Lord, what is he saying? What's that next thing that he's asking you? Maybe even pull your phone out and go to the notes section in anticipation of him speaking, because a lot of times the Lord speaks in the, in the person who anticipates him speaking. Maybe just be ready for it. 
and say, God, what, you, what is the next thing, whether it's small or big, what's that next thing you're asking me to do?